Well, the good news is I have literally doubled the number of verses I covered last week. The bad news is if you guys were here last week, you know I covered only one verse. <laughs> well, and it's obviously for an important reason. You know, these are verses we don't want to rush past. I mean, these are pivotal verses as we come to our conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. We did it, guys. We're almost there. And uh, here we have, we've now entered the final major division of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus seems to shun the contemporary conception that we have of ending on a high note, on a positive note. And he, instead, he opts to end on a sobering truth, reminding us that we need to choose who we will serve. In other words, Jesus has presented the kingdom of God over the last three chapters to us. Are you in? Will you choose him? Do you choose Jesus? Or do you stand opposed to him as the Pharisees, Sadducees, and so many others stood behind? And Jesus is making it clear here that we have a choice to make here, offering four different versions of this argument that we're going to break down over the next few weeks highlighting that we have a choice to make, showing no middle ground between these, um, beginning with this contrasting language of the narrow gate or the wide way. Some translations say Broadway. That's the version that I'm used to, so you might hear me saying that this morning. It's, it's the same thing. But he says the narrow gate or the Broadway, the, the healthy tree that bears good fruit or the diseased tree that bears bad fruit, the true and the false disciple and the two foundations, one on solid ground on the rock and the other on sand. Which one are you going to build your life around? Which of these will you choose for your life? Now, I'm going to come right out and say this is probably going to be an uncomfortable subject for us to discuss. Maybe it's uncomfortable to hear some of the words I'm going to be saying. But it's here in the scriptures and we have to address it. This is why I go verse by verse through the scriptures. Uh, Other pastors might go out of their way to ignore a hard truth like this in scripture. But But we're going to face it head on because this is God's word. And that being said, you know, Our society has changed a lot over the years. You know, we're largely become a very secular society. You know, pushing God further and further out. And we've become a very pluralistic society. In the sense of meaning many religions saying that we accept all of them. You do you, I do me. I'm okay, you're okay. You have your truth, I have my truth. And just be a good person, and I'm sure the afterlife would be good for you. That's the modern religion of America, is it not? And you know what? Those are, those are comforting truths if you believe them. Because you don't have to have the uncomfortable moment where you have to tell somebody else that they're wrong. Or face the reality that you might be wrong in some of your beliefs if everyone is right. It's comfortable because, you know, we, we never have to, con- we receive comfort that our friends and our family members, wherever they are after they pass, must be in a better place. We don't have to consider the possibility that maybe they're not. And that's a very uncomfortable truth to consider. Many people hate Christianity because of that. 
because we affirm that there is a choice to be made because of our claims to exclusivity of belief, trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation, believing that there is one God, one Savior, one way to the Father, and one authority of which we believe all of these things, Scripture. And that makes many people uncomfortable. But if our culture is being consistent, they would realize the sword cuts both ways, doesn't it? Now, I remember a number of years ago, my seminary professor, Dr. Norman Geisler, was uh, debating a famous secular humanist, an atheist, if you will. And he began, the, uh, and his opponent, the atheist's opening line was, well, my opponent this evening is very narrow-minded. He believes that Christianity is true and everything opposed to it is false. Who is he to make such narrow beliefs and truth claims? No, he can't be right. And he goes on to finish his opening statement. My professor then comes up to the podium and says, my opponent this evening is very narrow-minded. He is a secular humanist. He is an atheist. And he believes anything opposed to atheism is wrong. How very narrow-minded and arrogant of him saying everyone else is wrong. And he continued from there. Needless to say, that professor didn't know what he got himself into. As my professor would later teach us, those who break logic would later be broken by logic. But it's the, the, the fact is, all truth by nature is exclusive. Why do we pretend that religion gets a pass at this? Um, the, 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 the simple fact is, 2 plus 2 equals 4. That's a very narrow answer. Out of the infinite number of numbers, the answer can only be four. Why not five? Why not three? Nobody argues like that. In 1862, only Abraham Lincoln was president. How narrow-minded. How many millions of people were, were, uh, were alive that year, and only he get to be president. Why does nobody argue like that? Because we all intuitively know that is absurd to make such silly claims. So why do we pretend it's okay that we say that various religions and various worldviews, they're all somehow true? That they all co cohesively come together in some way we don't understand? And you have the two theses and you make the synthesis and they all come together as some religions claim. You can't do that with contrasting worldviews. Worldviews that contradict each other at the core can't both be true. I mean, just for instance, you can take any religion, but just to do some comparative religion studies with you guys, take Christianity and Islam. And again, I'm not picking on anybody. This is just what they believe. They teach that humans are good by nature. When the Bible calls us sinners, falling short of God's glory, uh, in Islam, Jesus is a man and not God. Just another man, just another good prophet. Jesus, according to them, neither died nor rose from the grave. They teach that the Bible has been corrupted and that salvation is attained by weighing your good deeds against your bad deeds. How do you square away that circle? That, that's a whole handful of conflicting worldviews that don't reconcile. 
You know, Steve Turner mockingly illustrates this point when he said, we believe that all religions are the same, at least the ones we read were. They, believe that all, they all believe in love and goodness. They only differ in the matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, and salvation. That's, those are pretty significant differences. And that's why people say, well, that's true for you, and that's, but that's not true for me. They're trying to avoid that confrontation, trying to avoid the hard truth that they all can't be the same. They all can't be true. And what's the problem with that? It, it defies our most basic understanding of logic, the law of non-contradiction. The fact that two opposing truths cannot both be true at the same sense in the same time. I am holding a black Bible in my hand. I am holding a can of Coca-Cola in my hand. Those obviously both cannot be true at the same time, at the same place, in the same way. And if you can't agree on that, then there's no point in talking. There's nothing to discuss. You're talking past each other. Now, the, 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 the Arabic philosopher Avicenna worded it best when he said, Anyone who denies the law of non-contradiction should be beaten and burned until they realize that to be beaten is not the same as to not be beaten. And to be burned is not the same as to not be burned. It's kind of extreme, but you can't argue with his logic. I don't think I'd be afraid to in the first place if I did. But the, the logic either way is airtight. You can't, have, you can't have a religion that says you need to work for your salvation and at the same time believe salvation is a gift from God earned on the, pre, earned on the cross of Jesus Christ and is given as a free gift to all who believe. Both can't be true. One is the broad way and one is the narrow path. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that other religions don't contain truth. Other religions do contain some truth to them. They're not all whole cloth wrong. I think that uh, Buddhists were correct to point out that materialism leads to suffering. I think that's a great point. You know, we, here we are living, you know, in the year 2021, and we got our fancy iPhones and everything in our house is smart. They say smartphones, smart... Glasses, smart cars, smart speakers, everything's supposedly smart. But are we happier than we were a generation ago? I don't think so. I see a lot of you agreeing with me. It's true. So other religions do contain some truth to them, even if their view on sin, creation, heaven, hell, and salvation might be wrong. There are truth in other religions. There's things we can learn. Don't hear me wrong. I think that William Paul Young's book, The Shack, had a couple of quotable good lines in it. I thought that, you know, even in my own spiritual journey, it's been helpful. But the book also has 14 heresies in it that completely contradict Scripture. So helpful, yes, but as a whole cloth, I can't endorse it because of all the error in it. So I'm not saying these things don't contain some truth to them. And I'm just pointing out all of this, going, going out of my way this morning to flesh out some of these arguments so that you guys will understand with me that the emperor is wearing no clothes. 
You know, that the, however comforting thoughts like all roads lead to heaven might be, it's not true. There's one way that scripture tells us. Now, there are many ways to get to that one road. We all have unique testimonies, but at some point we all come to the narrow gate of Jesus Christ and looking to him alone for our salvation. And funny enough, our own infrastructure in this country illustrates this, as I know that there's one road that leads to Key West, Florida, and that's Route 1. And there's many ways to get there. You can get on Route 1 right here in Middlesex County and take it all the way down. Or you could take I-95 all the way down to Miami and then switch over to Route 1. But at some point, you got to get on Route 1. So I remember driving down there a number of years ago, and I'm looking to my right, nothing but ocean. Looking to my left, nothing but ocean. There's no other, all other roads go to a point, but they're not going to take you if that's where its destination is. So at some point, you got to get on that road. You know, maybe it's you, maybe it's a loved one, but most of us end up taking an indirect route to God, don't we? We don't all get on that one road early. Some of us took our time getting there. Maybe you grew up in another religion or another, um, or maybe you were an atheist or maybe you grew up in a church that didn't teach the gospel. You grew up in a church that was legalistic or universalist in its teachings. But at some point, prayerfully, you trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, looking to him fully, and everything changed, getting on that one road. And we're, by the way, we're told by these verses that the way to destruction is wide, and the way is easy. And yet the narrow gate, it says the way is hard, and those who find it are few. Now, we talked about that last line quite a bit, so I'm not going to belabor this point, but, but this verse is really the final nail in the coffin of that universalist idea that all men are going to be saved. Jesus tells us, you know, in the Gospels, you know, John 14, 6, one of the first scriptures I ever memorized, Jesus speaking, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And we talk about how the gate is narrow, but in another sense, it is wide. Yes, there is just one way, but all are welcome on that one way. Let's not underemphasize that. All are welcome on that one way. It doesn't matter what your history has been, what your background was, or what your sins might look different than mine, but we're both welcome on this one road to salvation. We're all accepted before the Lord because it makes no difference what sin, what, if my sins are different than yours. We're all welcomed at the foot of the cross. But what's with that line that says the way is hard? John, I thought, I thought you just taught a couple of weeks ago we have all these promises of Scripture and all of these you know, good things in the, about the Holy Spirit being within us and all this other good stuff. What are you saying it's hard for? Well, Absolutely, we do have all those promises and privileges. That's what makes this road possible. I mean, before we came to Christ, 
you know, things, things were different. You know, God was merciful even when we were enemies of the cross. God is still merciful to us. The Bible teaches us that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. We call that common grace. God is good to all people to a certain degree. But when you become a Christian, now you're up against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Far less forgiving. Far more hostile. Far less gracious. Being up against all of that. And here we are carrying this unpopular message that has often been persecuted. And let's make no mistake, this message is unpopular. From Nero in the first century persecuting Christians to today where what we're doing right now is still illegal in some 50 countries worldwide. And going up, frankly. It's, it's an unusual thing for Christianity to be accepted and tolerated it's the norm to be persecuted. We've been very fortunate in this country. And make no mistake, you know, there are those today who are seeking ways to undermine the privileges we have here. To undermine our religious freedoms in this country and bring that persecution to us. We ought not to be naive about these truths. It's coming for us, but God has been gracious to us and we are grateful for this time that we've had. So yes, the way is hard it is difficult but we do have those privileges and promises of scripture that we've been discussing in the previous weeks i'm not going to belabor that point but as i begin to work towards my conclusion this morning i want to just briefly consider that absurd notion that so many people are offended that there is only one way to the father through jesus christ Let's think about that critically. What if tomorrow we discovered that there was a cure for cancer? But as we researched it further, we found that there was only one cure for cancer. It, there was no generic version coming. There was no easily replicable version. There's one way. Is anybody going to be offended by that? No, the whole world would throw up praise to God, throwing up arms together saying, yes, we have done it. There's a way to not die of cancer. Just be grateful that there is one way. You guys see the parallel. We should be rejoicing that, that all of us were at one point by nature hellbound by our sins. And God has given us a way to be saved. A way to come to peace with God and peace for eternity for our souls. And yet we're upset that there are not two ways. And let's be honest, if there were 15 ways, we'd be upset that there weren't 16. Because let's face it, how many people in the world are there today? 7 billion, 8 billion people? We'd be upset that there's not 8 billion ways. Because in our hearts, our rebellion-prone hearts... We're all little Frank Sinatras at the end of the day, saying, I did it my way. And no offense to old blue eyes, that's the theme song of the Broadway that leads to destruction. I did it my way. I decided to push off the things that I know to be true and the traditions of, of, the, of our Christian fathers, and I did it my way. That's our problem. 
Jesus said, I am the way. Nobody comes through the Father except through me. There's no other name by which we must be saved. As my friend read for us earlier today. It's the truth. So let's think critically one, through one more illustration. And then I'll work towards my conclusion. That on the night of, Je- of Jesus' betrayal, he was praying in the garden. You guys remember what he prayed. He said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The cup didn't pass. There was no other way. And you think, as Jesus is praying to the Father between the counsel of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you think if they could think of another way, there would be another way that was less costly. But there was no other way. And think about it. What what did it do to take, to forge that one way for each of us? That Jesus had to leave his throne in heaven, come down to earth to live a life that Isaiah 53 describes as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, only to die in the most brutal form of capital punishment ever devised. And worse than that, the undiluted wrath of God falling upon him as if he had committed every sin that had ever been committed to forge that one way so that anyone who believes can come to him and be saved. Purchasing it through the most possibly, the most expensive possible means. What does that say about trying to forge other ways to the Father? What does that say about, I did it my way? This attitude of, I did it my way, I'm a good person, just shows a blatant misunderstanding of the enormity of our own wickedness. That if Jesus said, went through all that to redeem me, and I'm suggesting, no thanks, I got it. We understand why this is such a big problem. That frankly, if we're honest, all of creation, the whole universe could be sacrificed and would still fall short of of the sacrifice that Jesus atoned for himself. Because there is no, nothing in all of creation is as holy, sacred, or valuable as the precious blood of our Savior. So guys, I, I, des- I understand this desire for multiple ways to heaven. We want the full assurance that our friends, our family, our neighbors, our loved ones are going where we are going someday. And the inevitable separation as you take the narrow gate and as loved ones of ours persist upon the broad way is devastating. It's heartbreaking. It's hard to conceive and think through of those thoughts. But let's all be grateful that we are not all on that one road that leads to destruction. Let's all be grateful that, God, that there is a way, period, to salvation that exists in the first place. That was purchased for us on the cross 2,000 years ago with the precious blood of Jesus in our place. God would be just to wipe us all out in his wrath. 
but he loves us so much that he has given us a way. And let's, let's not forget what God's heart is. Scripture tells us that he takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but invites us to turn therefore and live. So God, in a, way, in a very real way, respects our autonomy. He has given us free will. He does not force his one way on you this morning, but lets us make that decision ourselves, which is exactly what Jesus is teaching in this section of Scripture and these next three or four examples that we're going to be covering. The decision is now yours, church. Choose this day who you will serve. Choose this day what path you will take. The the wide gate, the broad way that leads to destruction, or the narrow gate that leads to life. Amen.